Hello and welcome to the Shapes of Grief podcast. This week you have a little bonus episode which features a conversation between myself and Venetia Quick. Venetia is co-host with Sasha of the Grief Encounters podcast, another Irish-based grief podcast which started exactly at the same time as Shapes of Grief earlier on this year. So we we talk grief podcast host to grief podcast host about what we've learned along the last few months of meeting uh, grieving people on a regular basis. Um, it's a really interesting conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Check out Grief Encounters, a great podcast available on all the usual uh, podcasting channels, same as Shapes of Grief. Give them a rating and review, it always helps. Hello and welcome. My name is Liz Gleason, and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from international guests who are authors, grief professionals and ordinary people, all with a unique perspective on grief and loss. Loss and the resulting grief can really have such a profound effect on our lives and it is my intention that these conversations may provide some comfort, hope and inspiration to you, our listeners. If you find the podcast supportive, please do consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. Even a euro or a dollar per month can help keep us going. For more grief resources and grief supports, find and follow us on all the usual social media channels and on shapesofgrief.com. On a storm torn shoreline, a woman was standing. The spray hung like jewels in her hand. Mid the rock, the rock of that desolate landing. Oh, as though there were none, she stood there. podcast is something I think a little different in that my guest today is Liz Gleason, who many of you might know from a podcast also about grief called Shapes of Grief. Liz, so you're lovely. very welcome. It's, Thank you. it's sort of it's you know, we both started around the same time. Obviously we've different podcasts but sort of along the similar things. So it'd be very interesting and I'm very interested to find out how the without using the word journey, but I am going to use the word journey. The journey has been for you in the past 10 months talking to people about their various aspects to grief and feelings about grief. Yeah, it's great to be here and it's so lovely to meet you and see the face behind the voice. Yeah, likewise. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, is the word zeitgeist, you know, when you have this idea and suddenly lots of people have a similar idea. And it is quite incredible that for years in Ireland, well, forever in Ireland, mm. there was no podcast on grief. And then um, yourself and Sasha and myself all launched initially within, <laughs> within weeks of each other. But it we're really, really only doing this to show people we're not at war. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah. And actually, it just shows there's such a need for it. There's such a need mm. for these conversations. And, you know, my experience with similar situations is people will listen to me and then they'll find you. People will listen to you and find me and essentially we have the same objective at heart which is mm. to just broaden the conversation around mm. grief and get people talking about it and mm. thinking about it and um, we were having a chat there just before we started this conversation you were saying that we were talking about how much it seems to be in the conversation now and in the national conversation grief like before I don't remember there being or maybe it was because I wasn't open to it and I hadn't experienced it in such 
an extremely personal way. But it seems now that people are talking about it in the newspapers, people are talking about it on air, on TV. It's like suddenly people want to talk about grief and they're ready. Yeah, I think like as a society, we're talking about more and more difficult things more often. Um, and I guess social media is doing that as well. You know, it's easier to to open up. And I think as well, the trend is when people allow themselves to get vulnerable and say, this sucks, this is hard, mm. I'm struggling. Other people relate to that. Mm. So we're starting to relate to the difficult things in life, you know, not just what we have focused on mm. in the past. I know about five years ago, I did a master's with the Irish Hospice Foundation in bereavement studies. And I remember my very first day sitting there and I was so charged, you know, it was just so interesting, so informative. And I just said to myself, everybody needs to know this. You know, everybody needs to know this, not just the 17 of us sitting here in this room. So that's where it started for me. But I think, you know, we we said this before, is it when your arm is broken, you start to notice everybody else with a broken arm. Um, but I think I think, like you say, it is more than that. There are articles springing up about about grief more and more. Um, just this weekend in the Irish Times, there was a whole spread about dying and death and different industry professionals uh, talking about their specific focus or their aspect. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, it's definitely there's a movement. There's a, a movement to talk about dying, talk about death talk about grief, understand it more so we can be more supportive. Do you think it's that people are more open to talking about it or people are more open to listening about it? I think people need to talk about it, actually. I still think people are struggling to listen. And that's a really interesting question because, yeah, like I work as a grief therapist and often people come to me because they feel I don't want to burden my family. I feel I've run out of time. You know, it's been six months. I've spoken about it for six months. Now, it's often not the case. It's often just they feel they're enough, Mm. not necessarily their friends. But people also think, you know, to be supportive in grief, does that mean I have to be miserable too? (laughs) Do I have to get into my misery? Yeah, there is that. Like people do feel guilty having a laugh. But as Sasha and I have discovered in the last 10, 11 months is that you have to have a laugh in grief. Like humour is so important. Totally. I mean, it's the one thing that has has 100% kept me going along with like the support of my friends, etc. But it's, it's, and my kids, but it's being able to have a laugh has just kept you because that's part of you. And that yeah. was certainly part of me and Martin's relationship was based on we always had a laugh together. Yeah. And and this is the thing, Venetia, you can laugh about it and you can laugh about it with someone else who's bereaved and gets it. Yeah. You know, but if someone else tries to make a joke, it's that's kind of tricky territory. Well, you know? I think from their point of view, I found after Martin died, like initially people were sort of it's almost like beatifying him. And like yeah. he wasn't an angel by any stretch of the imagination. Like he'd be a terrible asshole sometimes. Do you know what I mean? But it's like when people actually came out and said, do you remember that time he did that? And it tells them hilarious was very funny tells some hilarious story and that sort of made it sort of made it more normal it's I think. real it and grounded it. you're yeah. so true you know it's so true people do you know the eulogies and mm. we we make everybody a hero you know and that's lovely and there is something really sacred about about dying and about death and you know we do enter into some alternative 
state of being, I think, when we're in those zones. However, we need to be grounded as well. We need to be able to plug into normal life and, you know, remember the fun stuff and Mm. be able to laugh. But I think it's important to keep the person real rather than sort of creating something, somebody that they weren't either. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a, a lovely chat with someone the other day for the podcast, um, a doctor from Australia. And she's a palliative doctor, but 20 years ago, like she was only 22, 23 and her husband died. And um, like she talks about how everybody made her the hero. You're amazing. You did, you know, yeah, she was do. like, she wanted to kill the fecker, I think was her, <laughs> you know, at times. You know, she was so sick of this guy yeah. being sick and... You know, we do need to keep it real as well and acknowledge our humanity and our limitations. You know, mm. Sasha and I would have have discussed and have discussed with guests what we've learned probably in the last 11 months from the point of view how with different guests, how grief affects everybody differently. Everybody reacts to it differently. Everybody um, handles it differently. People's families handle them differently. You know, there can be fallouts in families, there can be fallouts with friends, or it can mm. just actually bring so many people closer together. What have you learned so far? Oh, there's just such an array of experiences out mm. there. I've met incredible people, you know, mm. doing the podcast. And, you know, like you said, everyone's grief is unique, but we all do have similar patterns and processes as well. Um, you know, you can almost, you know, guess in advance what somebody might be going through um, to a certain degree, you know, based on circumstances. But I think we grieve as we live, same as we die as we live. Mm. So if in your house you don't talk about difficult things, you're probably not going to talk about grief. And that, I think, is where the suffering comes from. Like grief is painful. It's a difficult emotion, but it's also very raw and pure. Profound loss can rock our inner world. It's confusing, life-altering and often scary. You've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief. But are there other models, theories, tools or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process? To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief-trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now, let's get you back to the podcast. You know, you have a good cry. You feel good afterwards. Mm. You feel relieved afterwards. But suffering can come in when we're not allowed to grieve or we feel we can't grieve or we're being judged by the way we grieve. So one of the things I've learned is almost a lot of the pain and suffering isn't in the loss itself, but it's in the fallout of the loss. Yes. You know, the the friends who don't understand, the lack of support, the physical effects of grief, mm. the social isolation, you know, often those bits yeah, can no, be really right. painful. It is. That's a, a very, it's almost like the little offshoots, the little... The secondary losses. The secondary losses that do come with it. And I mean, I think a lot of the time, you know, and we've talked about people who perhaps aren't that you expect to be there 100%, but just actually through their own grief can't physically do it. I mean, I've seen those people come back, some of them. You know, it's, it's a totally different 
um, I think scenario for a lot of people but I think some people do find that the people they expect it to be there 100% are just not and that's really yeah. traumatic as well like, yeah. because there's anger in that absolutely and it's sort of disappointment and you feel why aren't you here why haven't you helped me why don't you understand and I think you have that lens on like when you're in that stressful situation and someone you love has died and you know we are in a state of stress physically Mm. so we're on the defensive so we're cautious we're looking to see where are the threats (laughs) you know this is all unconscious obviously and the threat can be the person that doesn't show up and we Mm. start to feel insecure about that relationship you know there's reasons for all of this but equally, then there's the people who show up that you never thought would or yeah. you didn't expect I d- to. I think or... you become less tolerant as well. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt, you just go, OK, well, I'm not tolerating that because they're not being supported to me. So I'm. Yeah, definitely, you know. definitely. And I think grief, it shatters us. It shatters us from our core, from mm. the inside out. And we do become less tolerant of people talking about the colour they want to paint their kitchen or the frivolities of life. And, you know, we, we function at a different level for a time. And in that, it's like a hibernation because some of the pieces of ourselves come back. Some are gone forever. Mm. And then new pieces come in as well. Like it's a, I think in grief, our whole self is renegotiated. You know, everything, our relationships. But you're a different person. You're, you're changed completely. Changed completely. Without wanting it. It's like you're on this new planet and there's no other inhabitants and you're desperately looking for mm. inhabitants to meet you there. You know, it's very important for a bereaved parent to meet another bereaved parent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, no, I not get just that. someone else who's yeah. grieving. But I know. think it's also because you're bringing in other people into that grief, which are your kids. And their grief, it comes before if you're a bereaved parent, your child's grief comes before your grief always because you see how they struggle and you know how you feel, but you see how they're trying to manage it and they might be very little and that's very difficult. And it's, you know, you've children yourself. I've three. yeah. Yeah, this is key. I think when. We do lose a partner. Now, I haven't lost a partner to death. Mm. Um, but when we do lose a partner, the children, you know, we carry their grief as well. Oh, 100%. You know, we carry their yeah. grief and you worry constantly about them. Yeah. How are they going to navigate this? How is it going to affect their future life, their relationships? Will mm. I be enough? Will it define you know? them as well? Yeah. And obviously then you're sort of look like kids have their own. One of my kids is 14 now. So he's going through the the lovely teenage years, which is a, such a joy, as well as the um, all this huge grief because his dad was his best friend. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So it's yeah. you're just it's a really and then younger kids are they're too young to understand. It's like, you know, their their dad is there one minute and he's gone the next and. One was there, one wasn't there. Like, it's a really... Yet at at, at such a level, they really do understand as well. Yeah. It's such a loss. It's Mm. such a tremendous loss. But then you're questioning your ability to be able to get them through it and out the other side. And I think you said, does it define them? I think it will define them. You know, I think... Uh, it will define them, but not necessarily in negative, negative ways. Way. You know, yeah. I was talking to a mom the other day whose husband died. Her her little child is good friends with one of my kids, and she wondered about this. And I said, absolutely, you can see it in him, because the first time I met her kid, he had just joined the school where my mm. kids are, 
And I was in the class, I think I had chicks or something. I was showing the kids and I looked at him and I thought, what's his story? Yeah, he's a new in the, and I looked at him and he just had this presence about him. He looked me straight in the eye. He was so present and alive in a way that you don't often see in children. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was able to pick him out. And I love being around this kid. Like he's so he's sensitive in a lovely way. You know, he's he's clued in. He's turned turned on to life. He you can talk to him. He's engaging. He questions. So just like it defines us as adults or it, it breaks mm. us open children as well. And when they're allowed to talk about their grief, it, it makes them, I think, more caring, more sensitive, kinder, more mm, appreciative, more, more, more grateful. And, and they have their sadness. Yeah. Too, yeah. You know, one of the things we've come across in nearly every single episode is the language that people use with people that are bereaved. And it's it's something that it's a really difficult situation for anybody because you never know what to say. But it's thinking and educating people to think about what they're saying yeah. to somebody who's bereaved. Um, like we've had at least at least you're young. At least you have <sighs> the kids. Yeah. At least he didn't die in hospital. At least you're young. You might meet somebody new, which really isn't although it's meant with kindness, isn't helpful. What, what have you come across with that? I kind of mixed feelings about it, Venetia. I think people do want a silver line. You know, I think there's an ignorance around there generally in emotional intelligence. And I think in Ireland, we haven't traditionally done emotional stuff well mm. in the past. So we're definitely getting better. However, I don't like putting everyone down either like the, a lot of some of the grief gurus out there it's all about how people are doing it wrong you know and that's not helpful I think that's just going to scare people even further but you're right you know one experience I had of grief which was before I studied bereavement a close friend had a really significant bereavement a child and a partner within three days of each other um, two really awful tragedies I googled what to say because I wanted to make sure mm. I said the right thing. I googled what do you say to someone whose baby has died? You know, and I spent a whole evening reading and learning so that I could offer something that might be useful. And it really educated me. It mm. really educated me. So is that, is that, would you suggest that to people? Yeah, do. Yeah. Like learn, Google it. You've, you know, especially healthcare professionals or, you know, psychotherapists or anybody working with grief, you have a duty of care. Like, you know, learn how to do this the right way. And for the average Joe Soap, take a risk, like step in there. You might get it wrong, but say that. Just say, look, I don't know what to say. I don't know what's appropriate here. All I know is I really want to support you as best I can. You know, maybe don't ask them to teach you how to do that, but do your best because like you said, you know, the words can be hurtful, but people will pick up your intention. The key thing I would say is this isn't about you either. It's not about you getting it right. You know, it's not about you at all. Really think about what do they need? And maybe it's for you not to go near them. Mm. Maybe it's just your presence. I, I saw a lovely little video the other day and it said silence is one of the most potent forms of communication and we don't use it often enough. You know, mm. to just go and sit beside someone who's suffering is more than enough so often. What about you know? keeping the name of the person alive and talking about them and not sort of 
skirting around it and sweeping it under oh, the carpet. Yeah. Well, you must come know up. that. I mean, you yeah, must... no, well, it's it's and it's come yeah. up a lot um, yeah. through various things that we've done. That that's something that people tend to shy away from because they don't want to upset the person or maybe they don't want to upset themselves as well, yeah. like being fair. But is that something that's come up for you? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of Helen Lamb, one of the mums who did a podcast with me and she just loves Keenan with her husband. She mm. just says his name Keenan. And when I said his name, she's like, I love hearing other people yeah. say his name, you know. It's so important. I mean, think, you know, you don't have to think about it. You're living it. Yeah. We need our loved ones names around us. It's continuous bonds. An interesting fact is Freud, you know, back in the 20s and 30s, he brought in this whole notion of letting go. You grieve, then you let go and you move on. And then his daughter died. And he's suddenly going, oh, crap, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. want to let go of this, you know. Nice change my idea. And, but in the meantime, all his research had been disseminated all over the world. It's all about letting go, you know. Mm. So we now know it's not about letting go and moving on. It's developing a new relationship. You know, I don't know who said it, but someone said death ends a life, not a relationship. So when we've gone through our acute grief, we then need to find our loved one again. Well, where are you now? Are you in the light that comes through the window when I open the mm. curtains in the morning? Are you in the marathon I'm running? You know, are you in the roast we do every Friday because that's what you loved? You know, we we need to find them again and continue that bond with them. Mm. As a therapist, you studied bereavement. So that's where your background lies. Um, sort of therapy, grief therapy, some people are sceptical. Some people feel they don't need it. Some people find it's too difficult to do. And other people have sworn by it. Yeah. Where do you lie in that? I mean, obviously, you know, you might be a bit balanced or yeah. biased because of, you know, your background. Yeah. But it's not for everybody. It's not. It's not. I mean, there's no one right answer to mm. this. Um, first of all, research would show that therapy isn't helpful, usually in the first year. Because grief is such a biological process, mm. like such a physical experience. And, you know, m most people would say, most research would show family and friends is where it's at. You know, you need family and friends come in, support, be there, you know, but not everybody has family and friends mm. or not everybody has an, has the kind of support that we talked about earlier, where people will show up, talk about their loved one. Often people feel ashamed to talk about certain aspects of their grief and they need a stranger or they feel I've run out of favours with my friends and I want to just go and pay someone where I can go and cry and be held and be contained. You know, so th there's pluses and minuses. There's, there's situations where it's definitely a good thing and others where it isn't. Many psychotherapists and counsellors are not grief trained. And actually, this is a project I'm working on as a an education for psychotherapists and counsellors to learn more about grief. Often it's the stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which was never meant to be for grief. Yeah, it was meant to be for people who were dying and how they came to terms with a terminal illness. And it was just kind of put on grief by someone else. So a lot of doctors are still working off an outdated stages model that mm. was never actually meant for grief. So if our professionals were better trained, then great. But a lot of them aren't. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly would see a couple of people. I think you don't need you don't need this. You're okay. People need reassurance that what they're going through is normal. Yeah. So, so often I would see someone go, this is normal. This is to be expected. This is what's going on and this is why. And that's all they need, you know. Mm. Um, but in the wrong hands, it can be damaging. You're talking there about the stages of grief. And one thing I'm coming up to in February, it'll be Martin's second anniversary. The so. mythical stages. Just yeah, the, yeah <laughs> the mythical stages. But I, I don't, you know, yeah. um, the alleged or whatever you want to call it. I have found the second year incredibly difficult yeah. and possibly 100% more difficult than the first year. Yeah. The amount of people have said, well, I didn't want to tell you, but... Is that helpful to say to somebody, look, it gets worse? Or does it just get worse for some people? You know, yeah, this is so common, Venetia. Um, I don't think it's helpful to say it when people are in the midst of extreme stress and acute grief, which is really difficult to manage. Mm. I don't know that it's necessarily worse. I think it's different. And from what I've seen and what I've experienced myself is... I think year one, you are just getting, you're surviving. Mm. You're getting from the birthday to the anniversary to the Christmas to the month's mind. You know, you're, you're just getting from one event to another. And it's almost like when I get through this, I'll be OK. And then there's another milestone. When I get through this, I'll be OK. But it's almost like, OK, I've done it. You can come back now. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And then it's like, they're I've not proved coming. proved myself. I'm strong enough. Yeah. It's almost like you're just surviving. Yeah. But I think what happens in year two the permanence hits. Yeah. Wow, this isn't just this something is to get through yeah. now. This is forever. And I think that's where our, a really deep grief can surface. And it's the point where everyone thinks, oh, she's got through year one. Yeah. She's back at work. They're doing okay now. And that can be so lonely, you know, because the dinners aren't coming. The phone calls are less frequent. So it's like you're sitting with the permanence and the reality of your loss can happen in year two. I mean, our aim, and I don't speak for Sasha, but I think we've discussed it enough that mm. I can. Um, you know, we want to try and let people know through the various different stories that they're not alone, that perhaps they've somewhere to go as well. We've hopefully spoken to and will speak to more people who will let people know that it's okay they will get through this I'm not saying come out the other side but they will manage it and they'll get they'll get through it but also to help as we've just spoken about to educate people about how to talk to people yeah who are bereaved if they're helping them or how to help your friends or your family members who may have just lost somebody what would you like to get from um shapes of grief or what do you get? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You know, I set it up without giving it too much thought. I just thought, there's no podcast on grief in Ireland. Wouldn't that be amazing? Miss completely untechnical, as any listeners of Shapes of Grief will know. My sound quality is atrocious. Um, <laughs> but I just thought, I think it was from doing so much one-to-one work and just sitting alone with clients and every single person that came in is so shocked by the enormity of their grief because they haven't a clue if they haven't been through it before, how deeply grief hits. So I thought a podcast would be a way of getting, you know, my knowledge Mm. out there and giving people a voice and so that people can listen and be prepared. 
But it's, you know, it's taken off. It's been listened to lots of times, you mm. know, 17,000 times, I think it's been wow. played since January. Um, and growing every episode, which is great. But it's the emails I'm getting, which are yeah. just lovely. You know, a woman in India, my daughter died in December. I'm listening to it on repeat, you know, because it's it's her language, yeah. the, the language of grief. It's where she's at. And hopefully... I have the sense of it being like a life boy out there for people to listen to and just give them some sort something to cling to while they get through the acute grief to know I'm not alone. It's not just me. (laughs) You know, this is normal. You know, talking about the difficult things that we don't talk about in normal day to day conversation, you know, for people to know that's normal. Um, Yeah, just a sharing of our common humanity, you know. I know in the past from losses that I've had when I was younger and they just were not supported at mm. all. And I just remember the shame actually was the, the primary feeling. I was feeling shameful that I was in such grief and I had to hide it and put it away. Um, so I think it's Gandhi yeah. has that lovely quote, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. I just, you know, part of my own healing as well is doing my bit to change conversations um, so that another 16-year-old doesn't have to shove a pair of socks in her mouth to hide her grief, you know, just something I did when I had a big bereavement. Well, Liz, you know, obviously it's starting to become more the norm, as we discussed, where people are talking about it. There's more articles in the newspaper, whether we're more cognizant of it now because of what we're doing ourselves or our own grief or... And we're more aware it's happening, but it definitely seems to be that the doors have opened slightly and people are willing to share their stories or want to talk about it. And hopefully more people are listening because that's so important. Definitely. Um, And hopefully it will just lead to a kinder and more compassionate society. That's all it takes. Kindness and compassion. Like there's no... There's no it's hidden a no-brainer, secret. really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I really wish you good luck coming and up to your second you. anniversary. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, we get there. All this helps. Yeah. Sometimes it gets quite emotional, but it definitely yeah. does something very therapeutic as well. And we've had so many amazing guests that have really just made me go. I sometimes don't know how they're going through what they're going through. It yeah. sort of puts it into a different perspective. And I know that Martin certainly would be saying, uh, they've had a much shitter time. <laughs> Just get on. Why with would it. he think of you doing this? Um, I, he'd love it. He loved sort of radio and tech and all that sort of stuff and podcasts. So he would have been, you know, very into the whole thing. And he was a, a great creator. Mm. So he was always making things out of nothing. From the point of view of like a lot of his business ventures were made out of complete, just ideas he came up with. Um. So he would be he'd be fascinated, but he would, I know, 100 percent have listened to some of the stories here and the things they've gone through. And he would have said to me, you know, Venetia, they've had it much worse. Just get on with it now. Oh, look, <laughs> you know, I mean, suffering so. is suffering and there isn't a there isn't a hierarchy. I, just, I can feel know? them in my ear going, ah, sure, look, I had a great time, just, you know. So, yeah. Uh, Liz, thank you. Thanks, Venetia. Thank Lovely you. to meet you. And you.
so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. And if your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You're not alone. Once again, please do consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener-supported podcast, and we rely on your support to keep us going. The music was written by Silly Wizard and performed by Sue Hart and Martin Craddock, especially for the Shapes of Grief podcast. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleeson, stay well and take very good care. On a storm-torn shoreline, a woman was standing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.